0: Take a Bible, and let's open it together to 1 Samuel chapter 25, and if you didn't bring a Bible today, we'd like you to borrow our copy of the Bible. It'll be right on the back of the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 210 to begin with, page 210, or 1 Samuel 25 in your copy of the Bible. Now, I don't know if you saw it this past week, but there was a a very lengthy article in the Life section of USA Today on Paul Newman, you know, Butch Cassidy. Do you realize he is 73 years old? Amazing. And he's been married, the article said, he's been married to actress Joanne Woodward for over 40 years. Now that, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty amazing for a Hollywood marriage. In fact, that's pretty amazing for any marriage in this day and time. And yet, as I was looking, it was interesting the contrast that I found in that section of USA Today. In the very same section, on the very same day, it mentioned Ned Beatty, who's divorcing his wife Tinker after 17 years. It mentioned Princess Di. We all know about her marriage. It mentioned Chastity Bono and, of course, her parents, Sonny and Cher, their marriage broke up. It mentioned Roseanne Barr, who's been, you know, in and out of several marriages. And it also mentioned in that section Liz Taylor. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, honk if you've been married to Liz Taylor. So we know about her. And, 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 you know, in spite of all the books and all the seminars and all of the training courses and all of the counseling that we have thrown at marriage over the last 25 years here in America, USA Today still reports that one out of every two marriages in America today is going to end in divorce. I'm 49 years old, and as I look back on my life, without a doubt, the most significant decision I ever made in my life was the decision in 1971 to make Jesus Christ my personal Lord and Savior. But second to that, the most uh, influential and important decision I've ever made was the decision to choose Brenda as my wife. And and today, we're going to look at a passage where David chooses a wife, a gal named Abigail, And we're going to find that the reason he chose her is because he saw some character qualities in this woman that he knew would make him a great wife and that she would be the secret to a very healthy family with him. And we want to talk about what those qualities were, and then we want to extrapolate that into the 20th century and talk about how that applies to your life and my life. And if you're here saying, well, I'm already married... You know, I'm not a single man looking for a wife, so this doesn't really have anything to do with me. You're wrong, and I'll explain how in a minute, so don't turn me off and tune me out yet. Stick with us. This has something for everybody here today. So let's go. You ready? 1 Samuel 25, a little bit of background. Remember, David and his 600 armed men are living as a mercenary force down in southern Israel. They're protecting the farmers, they protect the herdsmen, and in response, the farmers and the herdsmen give them food and give them provision. Well, there was one rich guy down there named Nabal... When Nabal had lots of flocks and herds that David protected, but he spurned David, he snubbed David, he insulted David, refused to, to, to provide any recompense for David doing this. And David got so angry with him that he took 400 of his men, got their swords out, and they came to go. They were going to kill Nabal and kill all of the people with Nabal. And Abigail, Nabal's wife, came out. She intercepted David. We saw this last week. She apologized to David. And and she gave David a little speech. And this speech was so compelling. The wisdom in it was so compelling that David put his sword away and went home and didn't go kill her husband. Now, that's where we stop. So now we're going to pick up at verse 36. Okay, let's look together. Verse 36. And when Abigail went back home to Nabal, I mean, mission accomplished, she saved a man's life. When she went back home to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. And he was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. I'm sure she would have loved it if she would have come home and Nabal would have come running out to meet her and given her a huge bear hug and kissed her all up and down the face and said, Honey, you're wonderful. I love you so much. I'm so appreciative. You saved my life. What a great wife you are. This old fool was so drunk, he she couldn't even have a conversation with him. So anyway, he went to bed, she went to bed. The next morning, verse 37, he woke up and when he was sober, she went and she told him all the things that had happened. And his heart failed him and he became like a stone, the Bible says. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. You say, Lon, what's happening here? Well, the best I can figure out, the man had a stroke. He had a stroke and he he became um, he went into a coma. He was motionless in a coma for 10 days and finally he died. Well, when David heard about this, look at verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal because Nabal treated me with contempt. He, God, has kept me from doing wrong and has brought down Nabal's wrongdoing on his own head. David said, wow, this is wonderful. You you know, uh, isn't it interesting? I left Nabal in God's hands, just like Abigail told me to. And God did exactly what Abigail said he was going to do. God stepped in and God punished Nabal for what he did. And I never had to raise a hand. Wow, this is fabulous. Middle of verse 39. And then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. Hey, folks, David knew a good woman when he saw her. He said, hey, Nabal may not recognize he's got a good woman, but this is a good woman, and since Nabal's gone, I want her for my wife. Verse 40. And, and it says that his servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you, and he wants you to become his wife. And so she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she said, here is your maid servant, ready to serve you and wash the feet of your servants. You know what's interesting? When I proposed to Brenda, my wife, that is exactly what she said to me. Here is your servant, ready to serve you. Yeah, in in my dreams. Well, she got on a donkey, it says verse 42, and off she went attended by her maids, and she went and married David. And and, you know, she was a faithful wife to this man. She had children with this man, and we find her name elsewhere in the Bible. She stayed with this man his entire life and was a faithful wife and partner to him. Now that's the end of the passage we want to do so far, but it leads us to ask a really important question. What's our question? So what, Lon, this makes no difference to me. It has nothing to do with my life whatsoever. Well, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I was meeting with a young single guy not too long ago. He asked me if he could have breakfast with me. And I said, sure, if you want. And we had breakfast. And he said, Lon, here's my question. He said, I'm dating a girl. And what I want to know is, how can I know whether this is the right woman for me to marry? I mean, how can I know whether this would be, you know, a good partner to to try to make a Christian home and a Christian family with? How do you know something like that? And I said, well, when I was your age and I was dating, here's what I did. I sat down and I made a list of all the qualities of character that I wanted in a wife. And I'll tell you where I got the list. I got the list by going through the Bible and studying the great women of God in the Bible. And by studying Proverbs chapter 13, which is a a, a listing of what a noble, godly wife is like. And we're going to look at that passage in just a minute. And I made this list of these qualities. And then, as I met various ladies, I compared them to the list. And once I was sure they passed the list, then and only then did I go on to consider whether or not the chemistry was right. You know, whether we could make water boil together. That was important, but it was only important after the list. You say, Lon, you sound like a wonderfully romantic person. No, no, no. There was a lot of romance in my relationship with Brenda when we were dating, but not till after the list. You say, I don't know about this. Well, I'm not so convinced this was a bad idea. I mean, I've got a marriage that's lasted 24 years, It's healthy and happy and vibrant today, and we've been banged around a little bit. I'm not so sure this was a bad way to do it. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 31, because I think God says some things there that imply this may not be a bad way to do it at all. Proverbs chapter 31, it's page 471. Page 471 if you're using our copy of the Bible. Proverbs chapter 31. And I want to show you what God says here about a noble, godly wife. Look at verse 10. He says, A noble, a wife of noble character, Proverbs 31.10, Who can find a woman like that? She is worth far more than rubies. Now skip down to verse 30. It says... Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is a woman that will be praised. I have a good friend who is a grown man now. He's older than I am. And he was telling me about how his son, who's a Christian, a young man, met his wife. He said, my son was at the beach. He was walking down the beach. He saw this gorgeous blonde laying on the beach. She had gorgeous blonde hair. She had blue eyes. She had a great body. He walked over, introduced himself, struck up a relationship, and a little while later married her. That's as deep as he looked. And he said, the marriage between these two people ever since then has been a disaster. He said, she's gorgeous. But the marriage is a disaster. And what is God saying here in the book of Proverbs? Is God saying He's against outward beauty? No, God's not against outward beauty at all. But what God is saying is that outward beauty is not the key to building a lasting, successful relationship. Character is. Character is the secret to making a relationship called marriage work. And what God is saying here to us men is that if we're smart, we'll make sure no matter how pretty a woman is. And I need to say my wife is gorgeous. But no matter how pretty a woman is, a smart man will make sure that she passes the character test before he says I do. Because long after beauty is gone, it is character that makes relationships work. Now, I want us to go through Proverbs 31, and I want to highlight the character qualities that God ascribes to a noble wife. And these were all qualities, as I'm going to point out to you, that David saw in Abigail. And you say, well, Lon, this isn't for everybody here. It's only for men who are looking for wives. No, no, no. If you're a single man and you're looking for a life partner, then this is for you. It's a list that I suggest you use in trying to decide who would be a good life partner. But it's for more than just single men. If you're here and you're a parent, I'd like to suggest that if you have a daughter, that this is an effective list for you to take and begin using as a goal to develop these qualities in your daughter so that when that little girl grows up and becomes a woman and you hand her to some man and she becomes the partner to some man, that that man will come back and bless your name for having raised a daughter with the character to be a blessing to him and to his children and his children's children. And if you're here and you're a single lady, I'd like to suggest to you that this, the things I'm going to list here form a nice target for us to aspire to as a single woman in terms of our walk with God. You know, when I was a single young Christian man for, for a couple of years, all I ever prayed was, God, give me a wife. God, give me a wife. God, give me a wife. I want a woman. Huh! But you know what? The problem was that I I had things backwards because finally God got through to me and said, Lon, don't you get it? You ought to be praying that God would make you into the man of God that you ought to be so when you find that woman, you're the kind of man that's worth having. And I switched my whole prayer life from God give me a wife to God make me into a godly man. And if you're a single lady, I'd like to suggest to you that Prince Charming will come if that's God's will. Don't worry about that. But in the meantime, you ought to be focusing on... Coming, the kind of woman of God that a man of God would want. Finally, if you're here and you're already married, you say, yeah, what does this have to do with me? Well, I hope this list will result in your appreciating a lot more than you do that good woman that God gave you. You say, wait a minute, Lon, time out. You're making an assumption here. You're assuming that every wife here is a great deal. You're right. I am. Because you know what I've learned? I've learned that most women are much better wives than most men are husbands. And with very few exceptions, every single one of you married men here married above your head, friend. Way above your head. You can clap, ladies, if you want to. That's right. And it's about time you and I as men started realizing that. Now, guys, don't feel bad. I'm going to give you your chance to clap a little later. Trust me. All right. Now, let's go through these seven real quick, okay? You say, seven? You won't make seven. Watch, I've done it twice already. All right, here we go. There's seven I want to give you, and they all come out of Proverbs 31. Ready? These are the qualities that make a noble wife that builds strong marriages and strong families. Number one, she is spiritually connected. Look at verse 30. It says in verse 30, A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is the absolute, number one, most important, most strategic quality that goes into making a strong Christian marriage and a strong Christian home is to have it built around a woman who is spiritually connected. And by that, I don't mean that this is just a woman who goes to church or a woman who says, I'm a Christian. No, no, no. We're talking about a woman who has a living, vibrant, alive, growing, authentic faith in Jesus Christ that dominates her life. This was Abigail. You know, when Abigail came out and spoke to David, she spoke seven verses to David, if you go back and read it. And in those seven verses, she mentions God eight times. And those seven verses are dripping with wisdom that flow out of a biblical worldview and a belief in a big God and an understanding of the promises of God. And David looked at her and said, wow. This is a woman who is plugged in with God. This is the kind of woman that I really need. David was a wise man. Because the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, do not be unequally yoked, the Bible says. Do not be mismatched on the same yoke, if you're a Christian young man, with an unbelieving woman. And the Greek word picture here is from the world of farming. It's talking about when you take two animals and you put them on a yoke so they pull a plow. And what God is saying, you know how farming works. You can't put two different animals on the same yoke and expect them to pull the plow pretty uh, well. You can't put a horse and a mule on the same yoke and expect the plow to be pulled very effectively. You can't put an ox and an elephant on the same yoke and expect to do very well. And in the same way, God says, you cannot put a believer and a non-believer on the yoke of marriage and expect them to pull it very well. Because you've got different value systems. You've got different priorities. You've got different worldviews. You often find that you take pleasure in different things. You've got different morals and different ethics. When you're looking as a Christian young man to build a marriage in a Christian home, you need a woman that is spiritually connected, whose faith is living and alive and vibrant. And don't you settle for anything else or you will pay for it the rest of your life. And may I stop here and say just a moment, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ in a real and personal way, what we're really saying here is that being a Christian is about a lot more than just going to church. It's about having a connectedness with the living God, whereby the living God starts to change the very person you are. He starts to change your priorities and your value system and your worldview. He changes your aspirations. He even changes what you get pleasure from. He makes you into a new person, the Bible says. And if you need that kind of new lease on life, my friend, you'll never find it from a book or a seminar or a pill, but you can find it in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He'll change your life. Number two, let's go on. Number two, this woman is not only spiritually connected, but she's loyal. Look up at verse 11. Verse 11 says her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Here's a woman who is always out to bring good to her husband. Even when he's exposed, even when she has the chance to torpedo him, she doesn't. Now, this does not mean that at home, behind the privacy of their own house, she doesn't chop him off at the knees every day but what it means is once you leave home and you get out in the public arena, this is a woman who is loyal. This is a woman who will go to the mat for her husband. This is a woman that does her husband good and not evil. This woman is Tonto, friends, out there in the public arena. And Abigail was certainly this way. I mean, she was married to Nabal. The Bible says he was mean, he was nasty, he was hard to get along with, he was obstinate. He obviously didn't appreciate her. And yet, when David was coming to kill him, instead of standing around and going, wow, this is wonderful, I finally get the chance to dump this chump. And Abigail instead ran out, got on her face before David and pleaded for the life of her husband in spite of the kind of jerk that he was. This is a loyal woman. And to have a partner that, as verse 11 says, you can have full confidence in that she will go to the mat with you and she will she will protect your back when it's exposed. This is a wonderful woman. This is the kind of woman you're looking for. Number three, this woman is not only loyal and spiritually connected, she's hardworking. Look at verse 13. It says she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. And she provides food for her family and portions for her servants' girls. She considers a field and she buys it. And out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. This is a woman who is diligent, responsible, industrious, who has a high sense of duty and commitment. This is a real Semper Fi woman here, fellas. And Abigail had this quality oozing out of every pore. Do you remember what happened when she heard David was coming to kill her husband? The Bible says she took 200 loaves of bread. She took two skins of wine. She took five cooked sheep. She took 100 cakes of raisin and 200 cakes of figs. And she loaded those things on the donkeys by herself. Then she got on the front donkey and rode this whole thing out to meet David. Hey, this is a woman who was not afraid of hard work. And fellows, when you go to your girlfriend's parents' house, sit back and watch what happens there. You watch. Does she sit around talking to you while her mom cleans up all the dishes? Does she sit around watching television while her mom sets the table and puts the meal on? Because whatever she does there is exactly what she's going to do when she marries you. And so you keep your eyes open. Abigail was a hard worker. She had no illusions about life being easy. And this is the kind of woman you ought to be looking to marry. This is the kind of woman that we ought to be training our daughters to be. And this is the kind of woman that if you're blessed enough to be married to her, you ought to get up every day and thank God for this kind of woman. I've got one of the hardest working wives I have ever met in my entire life. And yet I want to say to you men, just because we've got hard working wives does not mean that we have the excuse that we can dump all the work on them. Absolutely not. Hey, I wash dishes, I do laundry, I go to the grocery store, and I've even done the Ms. fire thing with the vacuum cleaner a couple times myself. Not a lot, but a little bit I do that. Because just because i got a hard-working wife does not mean I've got the excuse to make her do all the work. But I'll tell you what, I thank God i got a wife that's not lazy. Number four, verse 18. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. You say, Lon, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you first of all what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that this is a woman who forgets to turn the lights off before going to bed at night. That is not what this means. What this means is that after she has worked hard all day, when she climbs into bed at night, she takes seriously the sexual needs of her husband and she meets them. You say, well, long. wait a minute. As a dating man, how do you plan, how do you think I'm going to check this out and still keep my dating relationship clean and right and pure the way God wants it to be? Well, the answer is, you better not check this out if you're smart. No, God doesn't want you checking this out firsthand before you get married, but you ought to talk about it. You ought to discuss it. You ought to have some frank interaction on this, and you ought to make sure that there's an agreement that you all understand each other before you get married. I had a lady in my office not too long ago and she said, I want to tell you something. She said, with all that I have to do, with the carpools I have to run and the meals I have to fix and the job that I have outside the home and the laundry I have to do when I walk in the house and everything I've got to do with the children. She said, I want to tell you something. I'm so busy and I'm so exhausted that if I never had sex with my husband again, I wouldn't miss it. I said, well, what would you say to her? I said, well, ma'am, I just want to tell you something. You might not miss it, but he would. You know, and, and what God is telling us here in Proverbs 31, ladies, is that there's more to being a good wife than going to Bible studies and making sure that the sheets are washed. If the choice is between warm sheets and a warm wife, I got to tell you, there's not a guy I know whose first choice would be warm sheets. Now, men, this is your moment to clap. Is that right? Am I right? Shoot, when I, was, when I was single, I didn't even have sheets. And I, if I didn't have them today, if I didn't have them today, it wouldn't bother me. But I want to tell you something. Having a wife that's affectionate means a lot. And fellows, just let me say one other thing to you. Don't forget, a woman responds to being treated right, and if she's not treating you right in bed, it behooves you to ask her whether you're treating her right out of bed. You might be surprised the answer you get. Number five, let's go on. My wife told me, Lon, stop right there. So I am not a sermon, just a thought. We're done with that. All right. (laughs) I'm being good. All right. Number five, number five. This woman is also a giver, not a taker. Look at verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor and she extends her hands to the needy. This is a generous woman. This is a kind woman, a caring woman. This is a woman who in her relationships with others is a giver and not a taker. Abigail displayed this trait. If you remember when they, when the servants found out that David was coming to kill them, they ran to Abigail. They didn't run to Nabal, her husband. And they said to Abigail, you know, Nabal doesn't care about us. He's selfish, he's self centered, he wouldn't lift a finger to save our lives, but Abigail we know you care. And we know that you're gonna do something to help save our lives because we know you're that kind of woman. And she did. See, part of what makes marriage so demanding is that it's not a 50-50 deal. You know that. Both people have to be giving 100% to make marriage work. And marriages that last are marriages that are built by givers. This is the kind of woman you're looking for. A woman who finds joy and satisfaction and pleasure in giving to the needs of other people. Number six, we're almost there. Verse 26. She speaks with wisdom. And faithful instruction is on her tongue. The Bible tells us that the woman that we're looking for is a woman that has wisdom, a woman that is astute. Now, we're not talking about a woman having a Ph.D. And we're not talking about a gal being a member of Phi Beta Kappa. We're talking about common sense, horse sense. We want a woman with horse sense who can look at the world and help keep us from stepping on landmines. And Abigail, I suppose that may be the one part about her character that stands out the most. She came and gave that speech to David, and the horse sense in that speech was so compelling that David stood back and went, hmm, this woman's a smart woman. This woman knows what she's talking about. This woman's got good common sense. And if I marry this woman, she could keep me from stepping on a lot of alligators if I listened to her. And see, man, that's really the problem. i found most women are born with good common sense. I mean, they come out the womb that way. I don't know, it's part of their gene pool or something. And, and, and the problem is usually not finding a woman with good common sense. The problem is usually getting us to listen to them. But they got it. You find a woman that's got good common sense and she'll save you from getting your leg blown off by all kind of landmines. Number seven, and finally, this was a woman who was Family-centered. A woman who was focused on her family. Look at verse 27. She watches over the affairs of her household like a hawk. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. And her husband also. And he praises her. Now this was a woman who was employed outside the home. You say, really? Well look at verse twenty four. It says in verse twenty four that she makes linen garments and she sells them and she supplies merchants with sashes that she makes. This is a woman this is a woman had a job. She had a career, but even though she had a career, the whole passage tells us that this was a woman for whom family came first. And if faced with the opportunity or the problem of choosing between her career or her family, this is a woman who chose family. I had a young girl come up to me after one of the earlier services and says, I'm real confused. If I've got a career, are you telling me that I can't be family focused? No, I said to her, I'm telling you that your career and your family at times are going to force you to make choices. And this is a woman who every time chose family. What a wonderful woman. What a wonderful woman to live with. A woman who's willing to give up things that she would even like to have for the welfare and the well-being of her husband and her family. No wonder her children rose up and called her blessed. No wonder her husband called her blessed and praised her name. This is a wonderful woman to live with. So let's review. Seven qualities. What are they? Number one, spiritually connected. Number two, loyal. Number three, hardworking. Number four, physically affectionate. Number five, a giver and not a taker. Number six, A woman with horse sense. And number seven, a woman that's family centered. Now, if you men are married, if you're a married man and if God has blessed you with a wife like this, I'm telling you, you better rise up and you better bless her name every day. Get up in the morning, get down on your knees right next to the bed. You genuflect and bow and just say, Bless your name, bless your name, bless your name. Say, Lon, that is so cheesy. Well, she'll love it. And it'll pay off later in the day, believe me. (laughs) Let's go on. And if you're raising daughters, if you're raising daughters, these are the qualities we want to build into these young women. So when you give her in marriage to some man, years later, you've got grandchildren coming back and saying, God bless you for raising such a wonderful woman that could be my mother. And if you're a single gal, what a great target to aspire to, to ask God to build these qualities into your life so that when Prince Charming comes along, you can be the wife and the partner that you should be to this man. And finally, if you're a single man that's here, hey, this is the kind of woman you're looking for, pal. He said, well, Lon, I just got one final question. I'm a single man, and if I find a woman like this, how do I get her to fall for me? Well, my advice is the same way that I got Brenda to fall for me, and that is I prayed that God would send a spirit of blindness on her till after the wedding. A spirit of spiritual stupor on this woman till after she married me. And it worked. It worked. And it'll work for you. You try it. A lot of women wonder how they ended up with us guys, too. Blindness, spiritual blindness, that's what we pray for. Right, men? Yes. God God bless you. Let's pray together, alright? Thanks, Lord Jesus, for talking to us today about uh, real practical things right down where we live. And I want to pray for the men, those of us here who are married. God, you've given us such wonderful wives. Forgive us for not appreciating and valuing these women more like we should. God, they deserve it. They have earned it. And I want to pray that You would teach us to communicate to them the honor and the esteem that they deserve. Thank You for blessing us with these kind of women, Lord. And I want to pray for those of us here who are single gals. Use this message as a great uh, defining element to give uh, each of us a target for what we're shooting for in terms of the development of our own character. For those of us with daughters, Lord, help us use this as effective targets to raise our young women to become women of God with. And finally, for those of us who are single men, God, use this to help us get a sense of what kind of woman we're looking for that builds an effective marriage and that builds an effective Christian home. God, change the way we relate to the opposite sex and to ourselves because of what we've learned here today. And God, thank You for so many wonderful women that You've given to this world. Lord, we just want to thank You that You have built into women these wonderful qualities that so many of them have these qualities in abundance. We just praise You so much, God, for what the Bible says, that houses and lands may be a gift from parents, but a godly wife is a gift from the Lord. And, and Lord, we just thank you for giving those gifts to us. May we appreciate these women the way we ought. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: The Lord God said,
0: It is not good for man to be alone.
1: I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs and closed the place with flesh. Then the Lord God fashioned a companion from the rib he had taken from the man. Oh, this is it. You are bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and you shall be called woman, for you were taken from my side. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and, and the, the two
0: will become,
1: become one flesh. My flesh or yours? Do you ever think about divorce? Divorce, no. Murder, yes. The Bible says that women ought to be silent and subject themselves. The Bible also says let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife. Oh, the contentions of a wife are like a constant dripping. Drip, 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 drip. Do not deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. Your husband is your maker. Yeah, you make her do this and you make her do that.
0: You need a gentle and quiet spirit.
1: Husband, provoke not your wife. Submit yourself to your husband. Love your wife. Oh, it's better to live in the corner of a rooftop than with a contentious and argumentative woman. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. (laughs) And the two... And the two... Will become... Will become... One flesh. One flesh. Submit Submit to to one one another another out of reverence for Christ. For two are better than one because they get a better return. Do we file jointly? For their work. I love thou. That's King James' work. I love you. And now, we will show you the most excellent way.
0: If I were to speak with the tongues of men
1: or of angels... If I had the gift of prophecy and could fathom all knowledge and all mystery... If I could instruct my wife with the wisdom of the ages... If I drove the carpool five times a week... If I had faith to move mountains... If I gave all I possessed to the poor... Or surrendered my body to the flames... Or donate all my organs to medicine... But have not love... But have not love... But but have have not love. love... I am nothing. I gain nothing. Love is patient. Oh, it's okay, honey. Let's give it one more try. Love is blind. It doesn't say that. Oh, I mean love is kind. Kind. (laughs) Well, it's not my favorite, but it does look very nice on you. It does not envy. My wife is better with the checkbook than I am. It's not boastful. Nor is it proud. Oh, I never could have done it without your help. Love is not rude. Oh, I'm so sorry. I always seem to interrupt you. Love is not self-seeking. No, I'd love to go to the ball game instead of shopping. Love is not easily angered, nor does it keep a record of wrongs. Love does not keep score. No, love does not keep score. Love always rejoices in the truth. It always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love Love never never fails. fails. It never fails. Love never fails. Never will it fail. Love never fails. For love is from God. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. So that we do not grow weary or lose heart. Let us place our hope in the Lord. For he will renew our strength. And we will soar on wings like eagles. One One flesh. flesh. And now these three remain. Faith faith hope hope and love love but the greatest of these the greatest of all of these is, is love, love.